I'm David W. Berner, and this is The Writer's Shed. I always say that uh, March is the cruelest month. (laughs) I think somebody else said that, too. I probably stole it. Um, It's a teaser month. You know, you get a day that's 57 degrees and sunny, and the next day you get a day that's 30 degrees with flurries. We've had a few of those around uh, the Chicago area. That's that's a Midwest this time of year, right? But we savor those great days. We had a 57-degree beauty yesterday. Today it's sunny, but it's only probably 30 degrees outside. So hopefully over the weekend, though, we're, we're hearing about possible 60s. And again, when you're listening to this, it may be a completely different forecast or uh, for your area, too. So quite different. What are we doing today? Well, uh, I'm actually working on some music, uh, some lyrics and writing I'm doing for a project. And uh, my wife is painting a wall. Uh, She gets this little, uh, you know, a little nagging thing to change something in the house. Uh, She's going after that wall today. So I give her a lot of credit for that. Uh, Here we are in the shed, of course, as we always are. And today I'm really thrilled to have Arnie Bernstein with us. Arnie is a, is a nonfiction writer. He's a narrative nonfiction writer, and he's explored forgotten stories in history. Uh, he's the author of two really acclaimed books. He's got several, but these two especially, Swastika Nation and also Bath Massacre. Bath Massacre is a, a story about America's first school bombing. Um, it's quite a story, and Arnie's quite a guy to, to talk to. His books have been uh, acclaimed by Publishers Weekly and the New York Times and uh, Kirkus Reviews, too. And Arnie talks with us about narrative nonfiction, of course, and how a writer goes about that. He talks about the lure of history and his love of typewriters. So, Arnie, thank you so much for being here. We appreciate that. I really wanted to explore some things with you that we haven't really explored on the show before. So, appreciate you being with us. We're doing this on an evening, so I've got my my evening light on. I should have like a little dram of whiskey or something to go with the, the evening. <laughs> I haven't gone that I got far. A whole yet. shelf full behind me. <laughs> <laughs> so let's talk a little bit about nonfiction writing. You've done a lot of that. You've had some wonderful books uh, that we've showcased before the start of this interview a bit. And you know, it's it's a different kind of mindset. I think I would imagine. I mean, I've done a lot of journalism writing, but your your stuff is you know it's long form. It's um, it's deep in research. Right. It's traditionally it's called narrative nonfiction. And I like it because it, it, I, my, my degree is from Columbia College. I got my uh, degree in uh, fiction writing from yeah. the Old Story Workshop. Uh, but what it's the same techniques, it's the same basic techniques creating character, uh, drama, dialogue, you know, all these things that a fiction writer has. I like to tease my, my fiction friends as, as it's so easy. All you have to do is say a typewriter and make stuff up. Um, but obviously it's not that simple, yeah. but you know, nonfiction, you, I mean, you have the fun of doing the research and then turning around that research and make it in, into something engaging that people want to read. Right. Uh, yeah. It, there's, um, you know, um, I, I remember during my MFA program many years ago, and um, I was with poets and, and I was a, a creative nonfiction person. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, I was, um, I, I remember saying to them that they, I, they would ask me what I, you know, what my MFA was in and they'd say, oh, that's the hard stuff. And I'd say, no, I, I don't have to make it up. Uh, it's yeah. kind of right out in front of me, but the hard stuff is, is to make it, as you said, engaging is to bring in those elements of fiction into the story that allow it to read like a story. Right. 
Right, exactly. That's where that's where you know, your research comes in. That's where good, solid research, good, solid reporting. Uh, that's where the magic lies. How does it how does it differ though from, or does it really differ from journalism? Well, yeah, it is different from journalism in that the, the journalistic experience is more has a more immediacy to it, whereas narrative nonfiction has the flow of you know I, I it kind of is the flow of a novel. Um, good narrative nonfiction. Um, for my book, Bath Massacre, I actually used two um, narrative nonfictions and both classics of the genre um, as my models. And the first was In Cold Blood by Truman Capote, which sure. of course we learned later, a lot of it is fictionalized, but even so. Right. Um, and Norman Mailer's The Executioner's Song, which sure. I think is one of his best books. Uh, and I use those as models. I think they are great examples of how you take character and situations and create that novelistic form that really pulls in the reader, that really gets to know who you're spending time with. I think one of the things that I get from <clears throat> workshops and from students is when they're writing in this style, in this genre, they're always questioning the quotes. Right. Right. So how, how, you know, because we weren't there in some of these situations, right? right? How do we, how, how does that square? That's, that's where your research comes in. Um, for Bath Massacre, I had a number of sources and it, it included interviews it, um, with survivors as well as um, with children of survivors and, uh, you know, other kinds of experts that I needed. Uh, it included old newspapers, um, accounts of the day. It included, uh, because it was a crime, there were there were legal documents as well. Yeah, right. And as I and this is standard for nonfiction. You'll see it in you know all kinds of narrative nonfiction. You'll say anything in quotes was something I pulled from a source that had quotes around it. Okay. Um, and that's how I do it. And in some cases, um, for example, there, there's a scene where in uh, in Bath Massacre where a man has a cold, a very bad cold, and he says he feels like his head fell into a hole. Mm -hmm. And how did I get that interior monologue? Well, he gave this uh, in testimony in one of the legal documents I consulted. And he said, I, you know, this is how I felt at that time. So that's how I was able gotcha. to get inside his head for that. And so right. I said, he felt like, and that was, that was, you know, anything like that is stuff, is stuff that you find in your documentation. So that, that, that lends itself to believing that there is a lot of research and deep research in this. What does that mean in this day and age? What is research? You know, when you and I were going to school, research meant something different, I think, than it does today, or maybe it doesn't. Well, yeah, we, it, before we, you know, what, what they say, the original uh, Google it is your librarian. But uh, it's, and I, I, librarians are your best friend when you're writing narrative nonfiction. They are they help you find the sources. I, mm -hmm. I could not have gotten what I have done without good solid librarians who get thanked in my books. And, but, you know, it, it, the advantage of it, history is that there are so many sources. You have to ferret them out. Sometimes they're locked away in obscure corners. Yeah. But the, you know, old newspapers, if you get your hand on legal documents, um, letters, um, our, you know, our diaries, if you can read the handwriting, sometimes those are difficult yeah, to read. Uh, it, it's, it's really a wealth of stuff. Uh, some of the more graphic stuff from Bath Massacre was a woman who 
was in her late 90s when I interviewed her and her brother had been killed. He'd been seven when he was killed. She was 14. And she was telling me the most grim, gory stuff. And I felt horrible. And I said, you know, Josephine, you don't have to tell me these things. I didn't want to upset her. You know, she's yeah, yeah. And she very strong voice said, no, I'm not going to be here forever. And I want people to know what happened. Wow. Yeah. And that's why, you know, she gave me a lot of detail and I was able to get into what she was thinking as well as, as a character. She sort of, you know, for lack of a better word, kind of the star of the book. You know, that brings up a thought because you brought up in cold blood and some of the things that we know about how that was shaped uh, after the fact. Um, and then what you just talked about this exchange you had with this woman, when does it feel, or does it ever feel like you're exploiting people's stories? Do you know what I mean? Yeah. Oh, I know. There's, exactly been, what there's, there's been yeah. some talk about Truman Capote doing that with. Yeah. Yeah. He certainly blood. did. And I, it is a fine line. I mean, if you do it with sensitivity and, you know, and, and what is that sensitivity? I mean, you don't go in there and say, you know, I lot, you know, you, you say one thing and then do something else with their material. Yeah. There's, you know, I mean, obviously, you know, it's a crime story. I'm not going to, you know, glorify the killer. There's just no way I was going to do that. Right. Uh, but, you know, I wanted their stories and what they had to say. But, you know, you, you, when, you're, when you're working with living people, with people yeah. who are still around, you know, and you can get their confidence in you and what you're doing, you know, then, then it's easier and there, it doesn't feel so exploitive. If you're working with something that's, you know, 100 years old or so, you have to look through your material and what's going to shape the material. Yeah. And, you know, what is your angle? I mean, it's, it's like journalism in a sense you brought up earlier or fiction, you know, what's your angle? Yeah. What's the theme here? Yeah. Exactly. And that's why having research material is so great. You go through it. And what I look for is patterns and recurring themes, recurring ideas. And that helps inform the story and how the story will be told. Yeah. So you were, you mentioned, you know, you were, um, um, doing a lot of research on these, all these books, it feels a little bit like what a documentarian would do, a film documentary. Uh, that's a, that's a good point. Yeah, they, good they, point. They, they 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 tend to f to take their time to get people to feel comfortable with their presence. We get right. them for people who might feel uh, as if uh, it's a one-off. You know, you're going to get something good for me, and then you're going to leave. Um, you know, documentary filmmakers will take months at a time to get to know a family before they even put a camera in front of their face. Oh, exactly. And yeah. that's, that's pretty much how it worked for Bath Massacre. Um, I presented myself to them. Uh, they have a, there's a, a museum in the local school that's devoted to this crime. And it's one of the Bath, I, I love them, but it's a, it's one of those quintessential small Midwestern towns when you, you know, yeah. It would be like the dictionary definition of a small Midwestern town. Mm. And this was their tragedy. And it was a deep scar. And nobody wanted to talk about it, really. And here I come out of Chicago saying, here I am to tell your story. Yeah. Well, it, you know, it took a while for me to build up trust with them. And once that trust was built up, you know, it became very easy to you know talking with people they got to understand who i was what i was about they understood how serious i was about this yeah uh, and today some of my best friends are the people you know it, it's what it's just someone said to me she said in a way you became part of the story mm. 
which, which, you know, it, it took me a long time to admit it, but I think she was right in that, you know, I am part of the story. Um, and in the updated edition, I, I talk a little bit about that in the introduction. Uh, the, the introduction I dealt with Sandy, Sandy Hook um, and yeah. make a, a you know, short version of this. On the morning of Sandy Hook, I, you know, after the, oh my God, I thought, I think I'm going to be busy. And I was, I was, because I'd written about, you know, the largest school killing in American history. And they were little kids who were killed. And suddenly Sandy Hook, I was getting all kinds of phone calls and, you know, for radio shows, TV, stuff like that. Yeah. Um, but I had a friend who's a minister in Connecticut and I contacted her. I said, Hey, do you know what's going on there? And she said, yeah, I live four miles from there. I'm ministering to some of the families. I said, oh wow. my God. Wow. You know, and I called my friends in Bath. I said, Hey, look, you know, this is one of those classic, you know, Einstein, you know, he said, God doesn't roll dice with the universe. This is one of those classic moments. I thought, I'm in this fulcrum between these two towns. Yeah. Oh, you know, so, you know, I contacted my friends in Bath and said, look, you guys know, maybe you could write a letter and I'll send it to my friend and she can forward it. And they thought this is a wonderful idea. And they did. And I guess it was printed in the local paper there in, in uh, Newton. And they were, she, my friend wrote a letter back thanking them. And they have an annual um, luncheon in Bath every May that's closest to the day of the bombing, where they, they, they honor the 50th graduating class of, you know, in, at this luncheon, but, you know, you know, class of, you know, 1965 or whatever is being honored. Yeah. And, but at, at this particular one, they read both those letters. Wow. And it What's was really profound fun. and moving. And I, I wrote about this in the introduction um, about, you know, and it, it, a lot of what this book is about is the importance of memory and keeping memory alive, which is what we do when we write about, you know, terrible crime stories is we are keeping the memory of the victims alive. You know, I don't want to keep going back to Truman Capote, but it reminds me of something, you know, the aftermath of that story and everything that happened after that really affected him yeah. tragically. Right. Yeah. Um, does just deep, dig, digging deep into these really kind of troubling things sometimes, what has that done to you? That's an interesting question. You know, I, you just kind of have to plow through some of those things. It's, you know, I, I tried to get inside the killer's head and I couldn't, which is probably a good thing. Yeah. Um, but, you know, I mean, I, you know, I had an occasional bad dream or something like that, but other than that, I, I, I think I was okay. I mean, some of the, you know, after writing some particularly gruesome stuff, you have to just sit back and take a breath, um, which is what I would do. Um, and it's interesting when you talk about In Cold Blood, um, I used it as a model. Um, it's, you know, it's always good to have good models. So I don't care if you're writing fiction, nonfiction or whatever, a good model helps you get through, you know, the problems that you face, the challenges you face as you're yeah. doing your writing. Teach and, that workshops all the time. You know, you're not stealing somebody's work. You're still, you're, you're kind of blending from the learning from their craft. Exactly. And when I finished my book and I, I had to reread it before I went out on, uh, you know, the lecture circuit, I thought, oh man, I really absorbed in cold blood. Wow. Wow. <laughs> this is, you know, it's, it was, it was remarkable. I'll tell you a funny story. Um, well, it's not so funny, but um, if you're familiar with the book Columbine by Dave Cullen, Yes, I am. I haven't read, but I know of the book. Yeah. Yeah. It's really interesting. They both came out about the same time and our books were so similar. It was, it was really 
hard to read that book. Um, we both consulted the same um, expert on psychopathy because wow. you know psychopathic killers are at the heart of our books. So we consulted the same you know book on that. We both ended with the same kind of image um, of birds in the sky. I mean, and I mean, almost beat for beat, you know, the books were the same. I, I kept having to put his book down. I kept saying, to "My wife, I feel like I'm reading my own book, but I, it's hard to take." Um, wow, that's know. amazing. Yeah, it really is. I, it was it was one of those, you know, you never know what's going to happen when you write these things, and you know what's what's you know what the outcomes are going to be. Find so it's um, you know for anybody who wants to write nonfiction, uh, narrative nonfiction. I mean, it sounds like a lot of work. You know what I mean? It sounds like there's a lot to do. Isn't it easier just to you know haul up in your office and make stuff up? Well, I suppose, but I don't know. <laughs> I don't know any better. I always hung out in the library when I was a kid. You know, I mean, I love you know trivia and you know, digging into history and things like that. And yeah, but I was, I was a paper boy. Um, oh, so was I. So was yeah, I. Yeah, yeah. And I, but I would always read the papers before I delivered them. Did you do that? I did that too. I mean, so I mean, reading this true stuff has always been fun for me. You know, it's, I've always gravitated towards nonfiction as opposed to fiction. I mean, I do have some novelists that I enjoy, but for the most part, I read nonfiction. And narrative nonfiction or history, bio, I love biographies. I read a lot of presidential biographies. Mm. Um, it's just what I gravitate towards. And so, you know, telling the story, but using those techniques of the fiction writer. How, how do you, you know, someone who's a, a writer, because we're talking about like sort of workshopping and students trying to find their way and people trying to find their way. You know, I work in workshops that people are trying to write memoir and I'm, I'm, I do memoir workshops and you know, they, they, they struggle with the fact that they can't remember what their mother exactly said 30 years ago to them. Yeah. And I said, you just have to write the essence of the truth. truth. Exactly. Remember your exactly. memory, the essence of it. You're okay. And they struggle with that. So how do you sit down with a student? Because I know you do some of this work with, yeah. with younger people. How do you sit down and you say, how do you get them through to the essence of something like this? How do you get them to understand that it's okay to, to, to do the research and then write what you think you know. Well, I, I often tell students that I'm doing the exact, you know, they, when they hear I've written books, I think, oh my goodness. And I say, no, 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 no. I'm doing the same thing that you guys are doing. It's the same basic principles. It's like baseball. You practice the fundamentals over and over and you get better at it. And I, I mean this when I say I've learned as much from my students as I hope they've learned from me because, you know, just practicing these fundamentals over and over again and driving those points home over and over again, I think it's made me a better writer. One thing I do tell students when they, they face that block, you know, who am I to say this? That's something they run into a lot is, who am I to say these kinds of things? Who am that's, I to say what I feel, what I think? That's a really good question. Um, one of the, yeah, it is. And I mean, we all go through it. Well, there's an exercise I do. You may be familiar with it. I tell them to write at the top of the page, I remember. Mm. And I say, okay, now start writing what you remember. And they all look at me cockeyed and they go, no, 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 no. I wasn't there. I don't know. Just write what you remember. And don't worry about your spelling or your grammar. And don't worry if it makes sense or if it doesn't make sense. Make a list, whatever it takes to do to write. And just keep writing. And when you get stuck, write, I remember. And start writing down what else you remember. Mm. And to a person, students have always said to me, I, I was surprised by what came out of this. Yeah. They gave, yeah. you know, by letting go. You know, releasing that inner critic and not worrying about how it sounds. You know, once you you know throw away notions of grammar and all that, and all those you know 
people worry about, oh, you know, the grammar and all this, that, the other. Well, don't worry about it. You know, make an unholy mess. You yeah. create the unholy mess. Then you go back and you clean it up. Good right. writing is rewriting. You know, so you want it. The mess is what comes first. Yeah, the mess is first. And I remember there's a scene, and I don't know if you ever saw the, the movie with Sean Connery, a Finding Forrester, I think it was called. No, I didn't see it. He played a recluse writer, and this kid, urban kid, wanted to be a writer, and he was from a tough part of town, and everybody made fun of him. They wanted to be a writer. Well, he knocked on the door. It was sort of a, um, uh, you know, J.D. Salinger kind of character where he was right, right. Up and gone out of sight. He knocked on the door and told him he wanted to be a writer, and finally the kid got in, and Kid, he said, you want to be a writer, kid? Sit at the typewriter, start writing. And the kid, like, hesitated. And he kept saying, no, don't hesitate. Just start writing. Well, I don't know. Yeah. Right. And then he'd go in the other room and he goes, I don't hear the keys. Let's go on. Come on, keep writing. And it's the same sort of thing. It's like, just get it out. Get it out. Make that unholy mess you're talking about. And then figure out what it is and what exactly. it's about and where the themes and, are. And I, you do. I often say, don't, don't write in order. You get, and, and it's a comment and we all went through it. You know, you, you stare at that, you know, in, uh, you know, the page and, you know, till your eyes start bleeding, thinking, how am I going to start this? You know, how am I going to do this? So write the ending first. Yeah, so, you know, where you're going to go, Yeah. you know, and then, you know, and maybe write the middle and, you know, writing in reverse order really helps inform where you're going to go, how you're going to get there. And then you, it's easy to write the introduction. Yeah. So is that the kind of thing? Tell me a little bit about what you're doing with, with uh, younger people. Well, I, I teach uh, writing workshops and I do some tutoring and it's, it's basically to, you know, assist them in their writing skills, you know, for other, you know, uh, other disciplines. It's not, it, it's creative writing, but it's not creative writing at the same time. It's, it's unleashing the natural writer within, which mm -hmm. we all have. We're born storytellers. Yeah, if you ever catch a five-year-old in a lie, what they, you know, the, the story they come up with is, yeah. is so much better than the truth. You know, their cover story, you know, they're, they're quite elaborate and fun. Yeah. But, you know, it, we're all born with this inherent talent for telling stories. And it gets beat out of us, unfortunately, as we get older. But I, I try to tap into that. And I use a lot of the similar exercises I use with both adult students and younger students, the I remember exercises, um, the let's make stuff up, you know, exercises, the tell me a true story exercise. I, I put up on, on my Twitter, I put up a daily writing prompts for both kids and adults so that they can, uh, you know, and, and sometimes they, they cross over these uh, writing prompts mm -hmm. and I, I've, Fun. you know, yeah. Yeah. So what's next for Arnie? What are you doing now? What are you working on or what's your process? Uh, right now I'm working on a, a book proposal um, that I'm not going to talk about, but um, it is a, it's a story in history. I found that I had, I, I, I found a small Wikipedia entry and I said, well, this is interesting. I never heard of this. And I started digging and digging and digging just because it caught my fancy. And yeah. then I was, Oh my goodness. And now I've got a whole, shelf of material behind me <laughs> that um it, in a very short amount of time in six weeks i've suddenly gone oh my goodness this is this story gets better and better every time uh, th that's what i'm working on is well, sometimes those are where the stories are the yeah. ones that are just waiting kind of in the edges you yeah. know and that's how i found my best stuff you know it's it's you know the, we've all heard this story you know the the phrase write what you know yeah. and i don't agree with that i say write what interests you because yeah. if you're interested, you'll want to explore and you'll want to know more and you'll get more material for it. Um, you know, I know a lot of things, but I don't know a lot more 
than I do know. And those are the things I want to find out. Well, it sounds like you're, you're doing that on a, on a daily basis in some way, yeah. fashion. So I try. I do all my first drafts on typewriters. I love yeah. typewriters. Learn to touch type. That's probably the best advice I can give to somebody is learn to touch type. And then the words just fly. But, you know, I, you know, I've been writing, you know, computer for, you know, as long as, you know, you know, 20 years or whatever. But we went to the Writers Museum downtown in Chicago and there were, they have those typewriter banks. And yeah, I just went on it and suddenly I was just wailing away like, you know, like, you know, I had in high school. I was like, I miss this. I miss this feel. I miss the sounds. And so I got myself, I, I finally settled on, I have a Olympia SM9. I call that my desktop. It's built yeah. like a tank. Mm-hmm. Um, and I have what I call my laptop, which is a uh, Smith Corona Skywriter, which was, you, it was used by businessmen. It was like their original laptops or, you know, war correspondents or, right. or journalists. Yeah. And that I call my laptop and I throw it in a backpack and I take it like when we go back to coffee shops and libraries and we can do that again, or I write in the backyard with it. Um, and there's that feel that sound, you know, that really, it feels like writing more so than at a computer. Plus there's no distractions, you know, yeah. have, you know, Facebook or Twitter or Instagrams or any of those things to, you know, distract. Right. I said, I'm so glad you brought that up because it is, it's such a tactile kind of thing. I, I never really wrote any of my stuff on, on a typewriter, but I fooled around with the typewriter and I have a couple. One behind me here is mm-hmm. the same one that uh, is sitting in the Key West house of Hemingway. It's the same model. Uh, quite deluxe. Yeah. A typewriter. I got one of those too. Yeah. Has well, a, has well a quite deluxe. Yeah. Has yeah. a little a do- deluxe, right? It has a little box that comes with it. You know, right, it's yeah. sort of a, a, a portable typewriter, uh, as portable as it could be back then. And I found this one and I knew as soon as I saw it, I said, that's the one that's sitting in the desk in Key West. And I, you know, I bought it immediately and made sure it worked. And occasionally I'll pull it out. I can't say I've done anything serious on it, but I love the fact that it's right there. You know, I just yeah. love this, this next project, this, you know, this secret project you're, you're writing on, you're writing on a typewriter. Oh God. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, I appreciate you being with us today, uh, tonight. And uh, I hope everybody, uh, gets a chance to check out uh, your books on uh, I'm sure they're in all the places we normally look all the usual places. um, Yeah. Shop indie stores, people. Arnie, thanks again. I greatly appreciate it. Good luck with everything you're doing. No, thanks for having me on. I appreciate it. You can find out all about Arnie Bernstein at his website, arniebernstein.com. His books are found just about everywhere you look for books these days. This has been episode 28 of The Writer's Shed. I'm David W. Berner. Our music is from iRay Music. Production and interviews, as always, produced right here in The Shed. You can find out more about Writer's Shed Press at writershedpress.com. And at The Writer's Shed on Medium, you can also sign up for our newsletter there and find us at Writer's Shed Press on Twitter. The Writer's Shed is available wherever you get your podcasts. Thanks for listening.